Everyone to a greater or lesser extent has a longing or a hunger to belong. We all more or less have this inner urge or hankering to be part of a group, a club, a gang, to feel situated or settled into a group. Now, I'm no anthropologist, but I guess some of that comes from our primitive instincts of protection and survival. You know, the more people there are around you, the less likely you're going to be the one that gets eaten by the lion. And that, my friends, is a pretty powerful motivator. And I guess we've all had that feeling of being the outsider. Those times when we've moved to a new town or gone to a new club or been at a work training course and you don't really know anyone. And generally we find ways of dealing with that. For the extroverted of us, we strike up conversation with someone. For the more introverted, we fiddle about on our phones or we start to become increasingly fascinated with the insurance liability certificate that happens to be framed and hung near the table of stale biscuits and substandard coffee. But the bottom line is that not belonging is really awkward. And if we're honest, even for the most extroverted of us, it can be a challenge. We prefer to belong we prefer to be part of the group, which in my line of work is great news because for the church, there are no outsiders. There's no one who's not in the club. Everyone's on the list. There's no one who can't be part of the gang because we all belong. Everyone in the whole world. And I know that because that's how the founder of the church, a man called Jesus Christ, set the whole thing up. Except that's not really how it works in practice. Somewhere along the road, something's been lost or confused or misunderstood. Now, I was born in the mid-1970s and grew up in the 1980s. And my experience of going to church was probably pretty similar in many ways to my parents' experiences of going to and growing up in the church. Things might have been a little less austere for me but in essence, it was the same pattern. You got dressed up in neat or at least clean clothes. You went to church. You did Sunday school or Bible classes. And when you were about 16, you joined the church after taking some classes that taught a little bit more about the faith and the exciting inner workings of the Church of Scotland. And somewhere along the way, you picked up a certain amount of moral teaching about how to behave in that you were polite to those older than you. You tried not to squirm too much on the uncomfortable pews. You knew that you had to be somewhat kind to people around you and to give your money to the poor. And the strange thing was that pretty much everyone around did the same thing and followed the same patterns. Go to church, go to Sunday school, join the church and then go to church and over time become part of the group. And as you get more involved in whatever the church is doing, you, you sort of get, get part of it. Or you get less involved and less interested and you kind of fall away. And that's such an ingrained pattern in Western Christianity that people have been able to codify it. That is, they've been able to put it all together as a model or a system. And the model or the system is known as believe, behave, belong. Believe, behave, belong. But there are two pretty fundamental problems with that system.
The problems with the Believe, Behave, Belong system are that firstly, somewhere along the road, the Behave bit has become the most important and we've spent very little time in many church circles on the Believe bit. We're awfully good at moralising and saying um, things about how a Christian is supposed to behave or sometimes guilting ourselves for not behaving in a Christian way, but not so good at having conversations about the believing part or not allowing ourselves to question or wrestle with the believing part. And so basically leaving ourselves with a Sunday school level understanding of our faith. And I think this is partly because for many years, in fact for centuries, we just accepted that people in this country believed and so there was little need to have any further conversations about it. It's known as the Christendom model, which is the notion that we're a Christian country and so everyone in the country just generally believes and has an understanding of the basics of the Christian faith. But unfortunately, Christendom died a long time ago. People don't have that grounding in their faith because the church hasn't been good at focusing on faith development beyond Sunday school. But that's perhaps a story for another day. The second and more fundamental problem with the believe, behave, belong model is that this isn't the way that Jesus worked. The believe, behave, belong model just simply isn't what Jesus did. In fact, Jesus did the opposite. And you can see that in many different incidents in Jesus' life, but none more interesting or vivid than how Jesus responds to his followers, John, Peter and Mary, just after his resurrection. And Ashley's going to read that for us just now. Ashley. This morning's reading is from Mark chapter 16, reading verses 1 to 8. Jesus has risen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be afraid, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thanks be to God for the reading of his holy word.
thanks, Ashley. You know, it's curious how Mary and the disciples respond to Jesus' resurrection. There's a sense of unbelief in what they're witnessing, which I suppose is understandable when you come face to face with the evidence of a dead person coming back to life. But remember that Mary, Simon, Peter and John, they'd all spent time with Jesus. They'd followed him around. They'd seen the powerful things he could do. They'd heard him teach and they'd been with him privately when he'd spoken about his death and resurrection. Well, they'd just witnessed his death and here they were witnessing the resurrection. But it takes them a bit of time to get their heads around it. Now John, who most theologians think is the other disciple described here, eventually says that he believes after seeing the scene. But even then he still doesn't seem to understand what he's seeing. And then Mary, who's still standing outside the tomb crying because she thinks Jesus' body has been stolen, she then has a conversation with two angels who ask her why she's crying. And then she turns around and has a conversation with Jesus, who she thinks is the gardener. She still doesn't quite believe that it's him. So if you're sitting on your couch with your coffee and maybe in your jammies wondering what this Easter and resurrection thing is all about, or if you're trying to work out what this faith thing is all what this faith thing is all about, or you're not sure how to behave if you ever came across a bunch of Jesus followers or stepped into a church, well, you're in good company, because it seems that even the ones who spent time with Jesus while he was on earth didn't get it initially. Even though they'd heard Jesus outline exactly what was going to happen, and were now seeing that come true before their eyes. They still didn't quite get it. So if you're struggling to know what to believe or struggling to work out what the right theology or set of beliefs is, or if you're struggling to know how to behave as a follower of Jesus, that's okay for just now. Because before you get to all of that, you belong. What to believe is a lifelong journey of figuring out and wrestling. And the Bible encourages us to do just that. And how to behave comes naturally as you get to know Jesus more and more, and certainly when you know him more deeply. But for now, you just need to know that you belong. Because if you look at how Jesus reacts to Mary, when she doesn't recognise him and mistakes him for the gardener, Jesus doesn't, doesn't say, oh, for pity's sake, Mary, how many times have I gone through the theology and doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement and how that relates to my crucifixion being raised to glory and the theology of sacrificialism? No, he doesn't say that. He says, Mary, it's me. And in that simple statement, God, God says, I know you and you belong. And this belonging is such an important thing in our world. And it's actually something that many companies and organisations strive towards. They want to make people feel like they belong. The author Donald Miller describes this in a recent book where he talks about the Starbucks phenomenon. He says... Starbucks exploded by not just offering customers a cup of coffee, but by giving them a comfortable, 
sophisticated environment in which to relax. Customers felt good about themselves when they walked into a Starbucks. Starbucks was delivering more value than just coffee. They were delivering a sense of sophistication and enthusiasm about life. They were also offering a place for people to meet in which they could experience affiliation and belonging. Starbucks changed Western culture from hanging out in bars to hanging out in local Italian-style coffee shops. In understanding how their customers wanted to feel, Starbucks took a product that people were used to paying a small amount for, or drinking for almost free at home or at work, and they were able to charge seven or eight times that much per cup. Starbucks customers are willing to pay more for their coffee because they sense the greater value with each cup. It's this sense of belonging to the Starbucks group or set that propels Starbucks from being just another cafe to being the global brand that they are. But just as the church can learn from certain aspects of how the world works, the world can't go the whole way. We need to learn from Jesus if we are to be a true Jesus-following community. This glorious sense of belonging that Starbucks and, of course, Costa Cafe Nero and other big coffee house chains tries to create can only go so far. The belonging that you feel in Starbucks or Costa isn't real. You don't actually belong. The company or the organisation doesn't really care about you. Certainly you might find an individual barista who might have a genuine interest in something you're saying, but more often than not they're just being polite and moving you on. And that's not bad. It's just that getting to know you and building an ongoing faithful friendship with you isn't what they're there for. They're there to sell you coffee and to make you feel good about yourself while you're doing it. But the church, this group of followers of Jesus, are called to something different. This church, this group of Jesus followers, are called to create a space, a community, not for parting people with their money or to get their bums on the seats or at the moment to increase the, the viewing figures, but to create a space, a community where people feel they belong and genuinely belong. But it doesn't matter if your seven rowdy kids have been playing up all day or the job that you've had for 35 years is disappearing or your marriage or long-term relationship is just broken or you just don't know who you are or what the future is going to look like when you admit about who you really are. Or if your wife of 60 years just passed away or you've reached the end of your tether and you feel like you, or, or if you feel like you have it all sorted out. It doesn't matter, you just simply belong. Some of the first words spoken by the risen Jesus are words of belonging and of reassurance. We'll never truly understand what the resurrection fully means or many other aspects of our lives of faith. And there will be times when you don't really know how you're supposed to behave. But even now, even in the midst of your doubts and messes, your misunderstandings and your wrestlings to know more and to know better, the first thing to remember is that you're known by God and that you simply belong where God's community exists. And it's this kind of community of unconditional belonging 
that speaks of new life and of resurrection. Because it's this kind of community that if we really strive towards it, can tear down walls and barriers. It's this kind of community that changes lives and changes the world. Because no matter what, before anything else, you belong. You're known, you're loved, and you fit in right here. Amen. Oh, wait a wee minute. One more thing. Now that you know that you fit in, now that you know that you belong, now that you know that you're loved, it'd be a shame to not do something about that and become part of this community of Jesus followers who could change the world. Just saying. Let's pray together. Loving God, may we be found and may we find a place called home, a place where faith holds us and grace renews us, where forgiveness longs for us to be who you will us to be. May we find a place called home where we are accepted as we are, where we are taken in and loved unconditionally. A place called home where we belong and our souls fit and our questions are allowed and our anger is heard and our needs are recognised and our pain is held and our names are known. And may this be that place, O God, this community, this group of travellers and doubters and companions on the way. Amen. Thank you.